when he died, like, you know, I'm going on and on and on here, but it's good. That's what it's for. Yeah. When he died, I was going through so many emotions for like the next five years. Like it was a, all kinds of up and down. Um, but eventually it just netted out to, I just want to, I want people to say, you know, Dale Jr. just added to the legacy, whether it was added a lot or added a little, it didn't matter, but I just wanted to be able to add to it. He, he's the reason why anybody knows that last name. And I just wanted to make sure that I didn't squander that or ruin that or, or, or stain Mm -hmm. that legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be able to, to improve on it a little bit. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm Pretty Intense. Today on the show is Dale Earnhardt Jr. Obviously, Dale and I have known each other for a really long time. We drove NASCAR together, but actually the first time we met was back in 2006 for Jay-Z's Show Me What You Got music video. And Jay-Z was making a comeback and he asked for Dale and I to come and be part of his music video. So that was the first time we met. Um, and But today was, you know, and of course we raced together and I drove for his nationwide team, but today was so much more about life. You know, he shared so much about his dad and his mom and growing up racing and that sort of relationship with him and his dad. And I just felt like, Today, I really got to know Dale Jr. Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure. It, yeah, glad you it, asked me. Uh, I didn't think that I would be in this position of interviewing drivers. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. You've been doing a podcast for a long time, though. Yeah, we started a we started podcasting a long time ago, um, probably eight years ago. Oh, and before it was cool. Yeah, we we got into it. I've never listened to a podcast, and I was like you know, what do we want to get into podcasting for? And someone in my company, Mike Davis, had a vision that this was going to be a popular platform and it's worked out. Mike's a smart guy. He is. He's he's on top of it. He's been with you forever too. Yeah, Mike started out as uh, kind of my PR guy. He he was hired by Budweiser back when I was driving the Budweiser car and um, he'd go to the track with me and just make sure I was on time for my appointments and all those things. And then I started to see, um, you know, that he had a lot of potential and, and a great vision for different things. And so I th- I hired him to work for me. And today he's what we call a brand manager. He tries to help me um, expand, you know, my profile and my brand and keep my relationships that I currently have working and, and, and productive, but also get us into other spaces or other areas. And so we created Dirty Mo Media. Yeah. Uh, many years ago on his idea that podcasting was going to be an important place to work in. And it turned out to be the right decision. Do uh, how many do you do a week? You do weekly, right? Once a week. I just came from doing um, my podcast and it takes me about an hour and a half to two hours. We started out with a, with like a 22 minute podcast and it was just me and another guy talking about last weekend or what's coming up the next race but once I stopped racing, we started having guests and bringing guests into the show. And, um, and that's become really fun because I, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious about people and, and want to, I, I know what I've heard about them. And, um, but I want to know more, you know, there's so much, we, today we had Ray Everham on as a guest, uh, crew chief and, and car owner and TV personality in NASCAR uh, the guy's just done so much, and uh, he was a race car driver at one point. But we dig into a lot of the um, background of of his career that I just don't know. I, we yeah. never take the we never take the time to sit down and just have these conversations, right? I know. And I so remember some, when I interviewed the first interview I ever did was with Tony Kanaan, and yeah. I actually researched him first because I was like. You know, I, I got a, like 10 pages on him and quotes and interviews and statistics. And I thought, I know so much more than I used to know because we as drivers, we don't sit down and go, so tell me about your childhood, which I am <laughs> going to ask. But, um, you know, tell me about like this and what is your perspective and what did this make you feel like? We're just like, hey, you know, it's like Titan three and four, like everyone I do a lift, right. you know, like you're just, you know, bullshitting about the car. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's so fun to uh 
it's so fun to be able to sit down and take the time to, to have those conversations with people and, you know, you just uncovered, <clears throat> I don't know wh whether you've experienced this or not. I'm sure you have, but when people get into these kind of conversations, they talk um, like we're just hanging out in a room and they'll say things and tell you stories that maybe they haven't shared with anybody else. Or maybe it's just never been in the right environment to share those stories and tr and truths, you know, about certain uh, things that happen in their lives that I don't know. We call we 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 joke that it's the table in the room that brings the truth out in everybody and, and makes everybody so comfortable about mm -hmm. being, uh, you know, more open in our podcast. But it's the podcast platform itself. When you get two people just sitting in a room and or in a Zoom call. Um, <laughs> they're in a they're in a fun environment, a comfortable environment, and they're willing to really just have a conversation. Whereas typically your interviews that me and you've done a million times in our careers, they kind of stay in the lane, you know, yeah. and, and and we never really reveal too much. But in in these yeah. podcasts, you can get pretty personal. I feel like now that I'm hearing how long it's been going on, because I know you've been doing this podcast for a long time, but eight years is a long time. And knowing kind of the, you know, last 10 year arc of your career and your life and, um, and all the other things too, like I'm even thinking to myself, Twitter, like when you first started doing Twitter. And so, you know, of course, and, and maybe some other people do remember this because I think it's more of a memory now, but you used to be, a lot more private and like a lot more to yourself. And I don't know if it's secretive as much as you just like were much more private. And so do you feel like between the podcast and Twitter and things like that, has that been something that's helped you open up? Cause I would think anybody that's only maybe gotten to know you recently, let's say they're a new NASCAR fan, they watch you on the broadcast, something like that. Like they wouldn't say Dale Jr. seems like a really like reserved, quiet, like shy guy. Like I would think everyone would say like, he's super friendly. He's super relatable. Um, I really like him and I feel like I know him. Um, so has that been a part of it or was there maybe something else that kind of made you want to sort of come out of your shell a little bit more? Yeah, I've just always felt super awkward um, around people, meeting new people and I get really comfortable once I get to know people, I get really comfortable and can be, um, be myself. But, uh, you know, I just always been really uncomfortable and awkward. I don't have a lot of, uh, social skills in terms of small talk and chit chat. And I just don't have that ability to really come off as, as authentic, uh, because of that, that awkwardness, you know, and, and when, so when I, what I'm, when I get put in a room with people that I don't know, I just kind of lock up and, um, and I'm not outgoing and I'm not going to take over the room or not going to be the, the life of the party. Uh, but maybe the fifth time that I'm at that room or the fifth, you know, I might be that person, you know, it just takes me a while to sort of get comfortable and, and trust um, the environment and the people I'm around. Uh, and I feel like that, uh, the things you mentioned, the podcast, Twitter, really accelerated all that stuff. Twitter, uh, you know, gave me a real great platform to, to experience uh, with how people reacted to certain things. And, and it, it was also, obviously, if you're a race car driver, you have great days, you have bad days. It's a great place for, to go to get people to put, pick you back up off, uh, and put you back on your feet after a bad run, but it's also a place to go celebrate something great. Um, but it was really, a. Um, I know that I have to remind myself that, that Twitter or Instagram is a, is just the tip of the iceberg. It's not the entire public opinion of you or, or, or the or, or perception of you, but it is an important sort of uh, a personal sort of place to test and experience how people are going to react, you know, and how people feel about you. Um, so that's been really interesting to me. I learned a lot from Twitter. I had a lot of great experiences in Twitter, Instagram. Um, those were probably my two go-to social media platforms. The podcast has given me a chance to, the reason why um, I really enjoyed the podcast at first 
was because I controlled the context of the conversation, my, my comment or whatever. If I'm going to talk about something I don't agree with, uh, particularly in NASCAR, um, I, I, you know, you, I could send you to the podcast to get the context, the tone, the inflection of the, of the, of the comment. Whereas when I would for years, you know, de- you know, a decade or more uh, in the two thousands, man, your, your comments and quotes could just get taken so out of context. Yeah. And people would read it and they would hear it many different ways. Some guy might think you said something positive where someone else might read the same thing and think you said something negative. Um, and that's, uh, that's where the podcast has sort of gave me the ability to say how I feel and people understand where I'm coming from with no confusion. Um, I really enjoyed that. I don't use the podcast like that anymore. Now that I'm not a driver, I just love to hear people tell their stories. We still get a little opinionated sometimes on the podcast, but um, they're just, you know, I, I was just always really shy, awkward, uh, int- you know, introverted. High, you know, I give me um, a video game and I'd hide in a room all day long. Uh, wow you know, and just never want to go to dinner, never want to go. We would go to these racetracks all across the country, all the way, th- all through the 2000s, all the way up until I met Amy, really. Uh, we'd go to these racetracks and Danica, I'd never leave the racetrack. I'd never leave the bus. Uh, when me and Amy started dating, she's like, I'm like, hey, you're going to go to the racetrack with me. It's going to be awesome. We get there and she's like, are we not leaving this bus? Like we were there for like 24 hours at Pocono or somewhere. And I'm like, no, why would we leave? We have all the food we need. Uh, I'm, I'm here to race. I'm at the racetrack. I can't leave the track. It's like seven o'clock at night. And I'm like, I can't leave. What? What? I've never left. Why would I leave? <laughs> She's like, I'm not sitting in this bus all weekend. We're going to dinner. Find somewhere to go. Where can we go? And uh, that was so foreign to me. You know, I, I just said, I wasn't one, I wasn't, nothing, nothing kind of propelled me to go outside of my comfort zone. And then Amy you know, along with other things we mentioned, Amy was a big, she forced it. She's like, look, you're, I'm not living this way. You're going to have to want to go out and do and enjoy and experience. Um, and, and she made it a lot of fun. You know, she showed me a whole, I hate, it's almost embarrassing to say, but she showed me a whole sort of new lifestyle of, of getting out and just doing. That's beautiful. Um, I want to talk about Amy and that whole part of your life now, which is your everything with Isla and another girl on the way and family. But going back to saying how, you know, just introverted and shy and uncomfortable in a room. Have you ever figured out where that comes from? You know, I think everything sort of comes from your childhood. Um, I had a, you know, from the outside looking in, and if I really, you know, if I really think about it, I had a very good, I had a lot of great breaks as a child and, and, a, and a teenager and had a lot of opportunity. Um, I really did. I, 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 I'm not going to complain one bit about the position or the situation, but it wasn't always perfect. My parents got divorced in 78. Uh, I lived with my mom never saw dad. I've got like one or two kind of memories of dad before I was probably six or so. Um, I don't really know how much he was around or how often we were able, we were sent to be with him. You know, like if he got visitations, I don't know when he got them or how often he got them or how often he took his opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have a lot of memory of that. And I was living with mom in 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 a real small house in Kannapolis and woke up one morning and the house was on fire and big time on fire. And so I, mom's boyfriend comes into the bedroom and he's like, Hey, get on, get your PJs on. We got to get out of here. And I'm like, uh, I'm you know, just kind of waking up and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I get my PJs on and I walk out of my bedroom and I look to the right and the whole kitchen is just a big wall of fire. Craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you know, you, you, you never forget some things like that. Well, we walk outside and the next thing I know, I'm standing, you know, a day or two later, I'm standing in dad's garage at Lake Norman in Mooresville and all our stuff's in there, all our stuff's in the garage. And uh, we're going to live with dad. Uh, so mom 
was broke and had to move back to Norfolk, Virginia to be uh, closer to some family there. That was the decision she made. She couldn't afford, uh, it was just going to be too hard on her to contain, uh, to maintain me and Kelly. And and she had no job or nothing at that time. And so we went to live with dad. I didn't know dad. I didn't know Teresa. She was there and part of dad's life at that point. Um, and that was a hard thing. Me and Teresa, when I was a kid, man, we butt heads hard. Um, you know, we were sprung into her life. She wasn't, you know, she was with dad and thinking, man, I've got this vision of the future and boom, here comes these two kids from his previous marriage that are just now, okay, going to, you know, we're going to just plop into the household and she's got to adjust her expectations of her future with dad. I understand her frustration with that. Um, but me and Kelly, you know, Kelly and me, we just tried, you know, it was weird. There was a lot of good, amazing things that happened because now I'm with dad. I get to, get to know him, get to go to the races. It was a, an amazing experience to be going to racetracks and enjoying all those things. But, um, and then when you go to school, so we'd go to school and you would think that, man, you know, your dad's Dale Earnhardt and everybody's going to go, wow, that's cool. You're, you're cool because your dad's cool, but it wasn't like that. You know, it just people, the kids I was going to school with uh, didn't think it was cool, you know, and that didn't create advantages for me, like you might think. Uh, And I was a, uh, I was, uh, I had like two or three, four friends, you know, in in school. Um, I knew a lot of people. I mean, you know, just trying to think back on my, my high school days. I just, wasn't I don't know I wasn't outgoing and and wasn't one to strike up a conversation and I was real real quiet and I think it just kind of created this sort of uh this this sort of sustained um personality and 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 approach to life Mm -hmm. um all through you know my teenage years we went to a lot of different schools I ended up getting sent to military school for a couple years I was in a Christian school got in big trouble there for talking, <laughs> talking in class and just doing stupid stuff, you know, being in, being a clown. Um, man, when I went to Christian school, I did kind of come out of my shell for a minute. I was only there for half a year. For whatever reason, the other kids in that school were like me. They weren't perfect, you know, and, and, and I could see myself in them and they accepted me. And that was the first time I think in my school career as a child feeling like I was around people like me, you know, and, 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 and they were all kind of there because they needed to get straightened out a little bit. Mm. Um, but I think they being around that environment made me act out more. I was so excited to be around people that enjoyed me and, and thought that I was a fun friend and all those things. And so I started being goofy and then I got in trouble uh, talking in class too much and doing other things. And I had to go to military school, but uh, I ended up finishing my high school career at Mooresville Senior High back home. And I left school. I went to a uh, technical college uh, to get an automotive degree. I never aspired to go to a four-year college. Didn't ever look at, a, uh, you know, applying anywhere. My grades were crap. I just assumed that I was never going to go to any big school. I didn't want to leave home. I wanted to race. Um, Dad said that he would help me get into racing if I continued to uh, achieve more in school beyond co- uh, high school. So I got an automotive degree. I started, uh, you know, started working at a dealership, his dealership, changing oil and things like that. But I was, I just was awkward and uncomfortable for most of my life. You know, I was the kind of guy that I liked Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And that's okay. Well, I know. I'm just saying like I was, I felt like this out, this misfit, you know what I'm saying? This, like I didn't belong to a certain thing. I wasn't popular. I wasn't trendy. Um, I don't know. It was, it was a, it was a strange time, but. um, When you were a kid were, you know, these are like subjects that I dive way deep into now about personalities and attachment styles and all kinds of kind of just understanding who we are as people and really what, what, how we overcome our childhood that 
we want to overcome, right? Because we don't want to overcome all of it. We just mm -hmm. the parts that hold us back, right? So I'm thinking that we're, you know, just not being you not wanting to be seen makes me think that you didn't feel seen as a kid. Is that true? Like feelings, you know, just being around being, you know, someone that they want around. Yeah. Um, maybe not necessarily want, but just like, like you were important. Yeah. That was when I went to the Christian school. Um, I, I don't, I never felt like uh, appreciated like I did when I was around those, that group of kids. And I don't know why it was different or what it was, but I, Instantly, I was a new kid. Those other kids have been going there for a couple of years. You know how that is. But yeah. they took me in and, and I was, I was, I was just, I fit right in. I just kicked right in there and I was loving it. Um, I, and then after that, I don't think I've uh, attained that sort of interaction with people since, you know, and uh, dad was such this, dad was just this sort of blue collar, tough, rugged, um, man's man, you did every, you know, you just wanted so badly for him to, uh, appreciate something you did or thought something you did was cool or, or, um, he was so hard to impress and just always just thinking about work and work and work and gone working, gone all the time. Even when he wasn't racing on the weekends, when he was home during the week, he was at the farm or at the shop working. You never saw him. And so when he'd come home, he plopped down in the lazy boy in the kit in the living room and fall asleep like eight, nine, thir nine o'clock at night. You, you, there was no sort of time to be with him. And, uh, and so, you know, I didn't know it then it wasn't bothering me then it bothers me now, you know, that, that it was like that because he's gone. Um, and I can't make up for it, but when I was a kid, it just, it was just the way it was, you know, it was just the way things were. And you didn't, I wasn't, I didn't think it was bad. It was just the way things were. But looking back, it's like, man, I hate that he wasn't more proactive. Uh, but he, you know, he made up for it when Taylor was born. Um, his daughter uh, with Teresa, you know, he was an amazing father. And I think that he knew that he, that he needed to be, you know, and he needed to be more, you know, uh, a part of her life. And so I got to see what he was capable of as a dad. Um, to a that hurt your feelings? No, I mean, I was jealous in the, in the moment, in the moment I was certainly jealous, you know, but as a, as an adult growing up, um, you know, I, as I know that, you know, we all lost him, you know, so Taylor lost him. Taylor, Taylor hurts the same way I heard over it. Um, you know, that, so there's, you know, we have that in common. And so I, you know, I, I, I'm no longer really jealous of that experience that they had because it was so short in, in her life. How old were you? Uh, 26 or eight or something. I don't know born. when she was born. No, when she was born, shoot. Um, <laughs> that, I can't even know 12, 10, 12, maybe. So did that was that a point in time where you felt like, you know, you could see what he could be like as a dad, but did that help him be a better dad to you too then at that point? Well, I think, I don't know what triggered uh, my relationship, but as soon as I started to race um, competitively, uh, we really got to, to having more conversations and, and he got to, he got to focus in or spending a little more time around us. You know, he wanted to make sure our car was safe. He wanted to make sure we, he didn't care how we did it. He wanted us to just go out and screw it up and learn from that. But he, you know, he wasn't sort of hovering over us while we were trying to race. I'm talking about me and my brother, Kerry, we shared a car together. Um, but he wanted to make sure it was safe, make sure the motor was not going to explode and all those things. Um, so we got to spend a lot of time with him when we started racing and the more success I had with racing. And as I started, as I started to become a part of his team's future at DEI mm -hmm. is when I started to win in the Xfinity series, man, it was a light switch. Um, I had said this before, so this is not new, but for most of my, uh, teenage years, I felt like I was a big disappointment. 
Um, I told you my dad was a man's man, tough, big, uh, rugged. And I wasn't, I was the opposite in my mind. And, and I was sensitive and quiet and shy and not a assertive or not an attack. I didn't attack a plan or, or, or really have a, you know, an, an original thought of my own at, at any point. And so I didn't know how to start my career. I wanted to race badly, had no clue how to get started. Uh, and I didn't attack that, you know, and, and, and I felt like that I wasn't living up to his, his hopes. Uh, and so when I started racing and doing well, it was like a, I mean, a 180. Here I am doing something that he didn't know that I was capable of doing. I knew I was shocking him. Um, and I was shocking myself, but, um, I was blowing his mind and he's sitting there going, holy moly, I might have, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get involved in this and make sure this goes the right way. This kid's got a real shot. I want to make sure it's, he doesn't get screwed over and doesn't get, you know, gets, gets the right chances here. And so right away, you know, as soon as we started running well in the Xfinity series, right around 1998, he, um, we were right there together. We did commercial shoots together, photo shoots together. Um, we didn't talk like racing, like, Hey, drive this way, drive the track this way. We're coming up on this track. Let's sit down and discuss it. Yeah. But we, you know, he would talk to me in broader terms of, you, you need to be on time. You need to be ready. You need to have, you know, you need to get your hair cut for this photo shoot coming up. And this is the way people expect you to be and act and talk. And I got, um, we got to talk, we got to spend a lot of time around each other in, in 98, 99, 2000. It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, to have those three years now to look back and go like, yeah. that's how you always wanted it to be that connection, mm -hmm. but which is so beautiful. I mean, Imagine if you would have never got that time, you know, so yeah. there's something to be grateful in it for sure. But it makes me think that, you know, cause when you started to do well is when he started to pay attention. And so how did that look after he passed? Did you have a real association with being to own, you could only be, could you only feel proud or good if you were doing well? Was that something you, you, you dealt with afterwards right before he passed away um i don't two months six months it was in the in the last year i was writing a column for a racing publication that was pretty popular um in the industry and it was a it was like winston cup scene um, they, everybody was, everybody would read it it would get passed out at the racetrack and um, so i was writing a little column for that just to have some, I like to write and express and um, yeah. So kind of like the, just the, you know, the podcast or anything like that, just kind of telling my side of the story and, and storytelling. I'm writing these blurbs just about what's happening in the racing uh, industry. Um, nothing crazy. One night for some reason I sat down by myself and I wrote this sort of essay about dad and what he meant to me. And I really, it took me no time at all to write this mm. and it just poured out with so much ease mm. and I was extremely proud of it. And so I was like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to publish it in this article, this thing. And, and everybody's going to read it. Everybody's going to know how, how I feel about my dad, but I was scared to do it without asking him. You don't do anything about dad with dad, with his use of his name or anything without going to him and saying, Hey, is this okay? So I asked him if I could see him for a second. He's up in his office at DEI. I go up there with that piece of paper and I said, Hey, I got this thing I wrote and I want, it's about you. I want to put it in the Winston Cup scene in a couple of weeks. And I just need to make sure you're okay with it. And he grab, you know, he takes it and he reads it and he stands up and he starts walking around reading it. And it's only, you know, about a page. Uh, and, uh, he stops at the end and he takes a minute and he says, you know, we never tell each other how we feel about each other, but I read in reading this, I know exactly how you feel. And I was like, yeah, I was like, man, that's exactly how I feel about you. And I'm, I didn't know you didn't know that, you know, that I didn't, that I thought you were this great, amazing thing. Mm. And he was like, I'm so glad you did this. I'm so glad you shared this with me. We're having these, like he doesn't talk this way. And I'm so. I'm looking up over here. So I'm glad you're talking. 
It was amazing. Um, and so he's like, you can't use this in this, this publication. You got to you, you save this for a book or something. I'm like, no, I'm not saving this. This is how I feel right now. And I want everybody to know it. So I'm going to put it out there. And I did. Um, and so, but anyhow, I, I think had that not happened, had I not had that, re- that moment was, is the most important moment in my life with my dad, without a doubt. We won races together and, and stood in victory lane together. But to, you know, to know that he knew how I felt about him is really important, you know, knowing that he would pass away many months later. So months later after that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was within the year. So had I never got to share that with him, man, that would be tough going the rest of my life wondering with, if, you know, I don't know what you, you know, I don't know, you know, not knowing, I don't know if I ever see him again. Right. Everybody believes what they want to believe. And, and I kind of have my beliefs, um, and I don't know what they are sometimes. I don't know what to believe or what to expect. But if I, if I was to never cross paths with him again and, and he leave this world without me really knowing, not, not being able to share that with him would be so hard. It would, I would be so, I'd be in such a harder place and spending all these last 20 years without him. It would be so difficult had I not had that chance. So I'm glad that happened. It was just a, you know, a, a sort of spur of the moment thing. Um, you know, so I feel very lucky. Uh, and, and to answer your question about beyond his death, how was, how was, how was, uh, what was winning or succeeding and what was the motivation to that? Um, at that moment, you know, beyond his death, it was, it was more about just adding to the legacy. Like, you know, I, when I would go to Daytona, he won 36 races at that racetrack across IROC and and the Bushker National Series and Cup and all that, right? So 36 races. And at any time I won there, uh, whether it was in an Xfinity car, in the Cup car, anything that I ever won at that racetrack, I just was, it was like putting another mark on the wall in the Earnhardt column, right? Um, And I just wanted I knew that I wasn't going to win seven championships. I knew I wasn't going to win 83 races or however many races he won, 76, whatever it is. I knew I wasn't going to do all those things. I just wanted to like add to, I wanted to add to that Earnhardt name and the Earnhardt legacy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if I can do that, he'll be real proud of it. Um, I know that he would be proud of it. Mm -hmm. I know that he would also tell me all the, all the areas where I could have done better. Um, But Dads you know, do that. Yeah, dads do that. So, but I, I, I wasn't really motivated to, like when he died, like, I'm, you know, I'm going on and on and on here, but. It's good. That's what it's for. Yeah. When he died, I was going through so many emotions for like the f- next five years. Like oh. it was a, all kinds of up and down. Um, but eventually it just netted out to, I just want to, I want people to say, you know, Dale Jr. just added to the legacy, whether it was added a lot or added a little, it didn't matter, but I just wanted to be able to add to it. He, he's the reason why anybody knows that last name. And I just wanted to make sure that I didn't squander that or ruin that or, or, or stain mm. that legacy. Mm. You know, I wanted to be able to, to improve on it a little bit. I feel like that, that letter made you one instead of, two different people you it feels like there was a um there was like a merging of love yeah i feel like that we were definitely becoming uh, getting on the same page yeah and we were certainly getting on the same page personally and professionally you know and i think as i got older had he lived we would have really worked in tandem um, to achieve whatever it was that we wanted to achieve. And, and, um, so that was, it was good that that was happening, you know, cause it, for the longest time, man, we were so disconnected. He was, he was on a mission and I didn't fit that. I, I didn't, I didn't try to fit that. I didn't try to, I didn't, we didn't connect. We just didn't have a relationship. You know, it was, it was, 
a lot of father and son relationships are complicated. Yeah. Father-daughter you know, so ones are complicated too. <laughs> but you yeah. know, it's not, the hardest thing when you're young is to have an, any kind of understanding that it's not your fault. It's not about yeah. you. The way that they teach you, like my dad was yeah. extremely hard on me. He yelled at me. He was, I mean, every weekend I recently found out it was every single weekend went to the track. I got yelled at. And it was like, how did you get over it? And, you know, how did we get beyond it? And mom's like, well, we gave in. And I was like, well, now I know I am a fixer, you know, like there's a lot to unpack in that, but it's impossible when you're a kid to have any kind of understanding that, okay, got it. The way you treat me is a lot more about you than it is about me. That doesn't feel like that. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It. I think once I got older, I start. I, you know, I, not to let dad off the hook, but I, I certainly understand why he chose the, even the bad decisions, why he chose to do what he did. You know, when I was young, I didn't understand. When I was younger, I didn't understand why he wasn't more, um, like he wasn't at my graduation. He pushed so hard for me and Kelly to finish school. He quit school in the eighth grade. He'd, he'd failed so many times that he was 16 years old in the eighth grade and he finally gave up and quit. Yeah. And so all through my high school years, he's like, you got just, you got to finish your school. I don't know why he thought we were going to drop out, but he's like, I just need you to finish school. I just want you to finish school. It's real important to me that you finish school. If you guys even try to go beyond high school and get more education, I really be inclined to help you achieve whatever you want to achieve. It was really important to him. We get there for graduation and he's at a racetrack, you know, and I, I understand, you know, that. It yeah. Was, what is your understanding now? You say you understand, but I do not understand how he missed my graduation because <laughs> he had the means to travel, but yeah, I, um, it, that, that frustrates me, but I understand, I guess why he was so like in the seventies when I was born all the way till, you know, we basically were, were, were put in his lap at 81 when our house burnt down. He didn't come to, uh, you know, acquire uh, custody of us. That just happened by circumstance. And, you know, so, but, but he wasn't, he didn't go out of his way, I guess, to, um, to be a bigger part of our lives when we were really young. And his focus was just trying to make it, you know, he was eating, bologna sandwiches and tomato sandwiches and uh, working on cars till four in the morning and getting up and going to jobs and working a real job and then working all night long on the race cars and doing what he thought he had to do. Is that you know? what his and dad he, did? His dad had a little, his dad had a little better of a system. Um, and he was a better family man. Um, he had a bigger family and took and seemed to be a better father, a little more part, you know, a little, a little better at, being a part of their, all their lives. Um, you know, dad got around to it, but, um, he was selfish, you know, when he was young, uh, and him and mom, you know, it's a, it's complicated, but, um, I, I, uh, I'm glad that it turned, you know, one day and, and our relationship, uh, improved and I yeah. could become, Yeah. I could, I, I, you know, it was a big deal to be able to get to where me and him could sit down and have a conversation and talk about stuff. There was another moment um, that was pretty impactful between me and dad. Um, so I was racing in 1997. I was racing one-off Xfinity races here and there. I had a car and I took it to Charlotte and we were practicing on Friday, the races uh, the next day and I crashed in practice and it was the only car I had. So we load up and we go home and I'm upset and I'm disappointed. And I thought my career was over. I really, in that moment, like I crashed, I embarrassed myself, embarrassed everybody, dad, all in front of his peers and everything. And so I probably won't get another chance like this. Mm. And I go home and I sit in my house and I'm sulking. And like two, three hours later, dad comes home. He's done it. He's done at the racetrack. So he's come back home, which is, just a few miles away, comes banging into my door and Did you think stomps you in on him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he stomps in there in his cowboy boots and he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I wrecked. I'm, I figured I'm done. I don't know. I'm just sitting here 
feeling sorry for myself. He goes, come here. And we go outside and we had this, I was living in a double wide trailer and there's concrete steps on the back porch and we sat down on them steps. And he's like, he's like the guys that are helping you on your car, just some friends of mine, they're over at the shop cutting your car apart to fix it. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, why aren't you over there? That's what you should be doing. If you want to race again, you should be wanting to fix the car you just wrecked. Uh. And I was like, it didn't dawn on me to do that. I thought it was over. I thought my life, my career was over. Uh. And we had like a two hour conversation on them steps about, you know, just about doing the right thing. Or he's like, man, when you crashed, you know, I understand being disappointed and mad, but why wasn't, why wasn't your next instinct to fix this car? Mm. What do I got to do to get it fixed? What do I got to do to get back out there and do it again? Like that should be your, you should, you should nothing, you know, you should be jumping over every fence or hurdle in your way to get to that next opportunity yeah, keep the determination. instead of, yeah, instead of sulking. Yeah. And that's what he did. That's who he was. He could do that. So what, and, was, his, uh, what was his greatest lesson then? Like if you can look back and you think, man, thank God for this because it's changed my life. Um, I think that that moment right there, that was the first time me and him had ever had one of those talks um, about, you know, just, uh, you know, we never had conversations about life and just trying to do, you know, how to achieve and how to, what, what's the attitude to have and how, how should you be approaching things? We just never had those conversations. Mm -hmm. So that was really the first time that we sat down and I was like, I felt like, man, he's in my corner. He wants me to, to succeed, you know? And I felt like for the longest time in my racing career, he was like nervous to give me opportunities because he was like, I, you know, if, if this goes real bad, I don't, you know, I don't know. That's we, I, I felt like he, we got, you know, we got to race late models. We got to do a lot of cool stuff. Me my sister, my brother and dad created those opportunities for us, but his involvement in it, was so lacking. Like he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't come in there and say, man, you need to, you need to set your car up like this. He just, I just set it up, you know, and went to the track and it run or it didn't run. And his, so the fact that he wasn't so more hands-on made me wonder whether he really was interested in helping us get all the way up to the top, right? Totally. That's a natural, um, that's a natural reaction to someone kind of feeling like you feel like, well, honestly, you kind of reciprocated. He gave a half ass attempt. So you kind of did. Yeah. In a way, right? Like you're like, well, I guess yeah. it's over. Cause you're like, you know, you're not seeing him display the kind of commitment that you needed to have too. Right. It's so a, it had it's to be a, confusing. Yeah, it's a fine balance because yeah. I don't, you don't want them to be overbearing and over your shoulder and pushing, pushing, pushing. But dad was the complete opposite. He was like, okay, um, take this race car to the track. Good luck. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I don't know nothing about setting this thing up and making it go around the track. I can drive it, but I don't know how to make it go fast. Uh, that sounds like um, me. I'm like, I don't even know where the track bar is on that thing, but I know yeah. it does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I learned a tremendous amount with that approach, Yeah, but I didn't know he was really in my corner. Like yeah. I didn't know that his heart was in it, mm -hmm. that his heart wanted to see us win and see me go far until we had that conversation on that back porch mm. on them steps. That's when it dawned on me like, Oh, I get it. Like you want me to win. And, and the reason why you're kind of hard on me and the reason why you're kind of letting me leave me out on that Island to, to flounder and learn is because that's the way you feel like it's the best approach for me and best way for me to succeed. But yeah. in his heart, he really does, really does want me to, con to continue this, to achieve more, to try to strive for more. He was so, I think he was really worried about people's perception of helping us, helping me and Kelly and Carrie, because he would always say in interviews and stuff, I ain't helping them. They're going to have to want to do it. They're going to have to want it. They're going to have to go out and get it. They're going to, you know, I'm not, he wasn't going to be that, you know, dad that, that, that did everything for you and hired you the best crew chief to take you to the track and sure. make sure your car was super fast. Um, he wanted he, you to he, be able to take credit for what you did. Yeah. We'd go to the racetrack. Oh, I raced against this guy 
named Robert Powell, and he won every single week. Um, I'd run second. And I'd come home and working on my car. Dad walks in Monday morning. Where'd you run? I run second to Robert. It's a good, good night, but Robert won. And one night, we won. And Robert wasn't there, right? But we won. I get the trophy, come home. I put the trophy on top of the Lance cracker machine because I know that's the first place dad's going to go when he walks in the doors to the cracker machine. And so the trophy's up on top of this cracker machine, and I cannot wait for him to walk in there and see it. And I haven't been able to tell him I've won a race ever, right? He comes walking in 10 o'clock in the morning or so, and he walks up the cracker machine, and I was like, and he don't say anything. And I was like, Dad, look at that trophy. Look at that trophy, man. And he's like, y'all won? And I was like, yeah. He goes, Robert wasn't there, was he? <gasps> and I was like, my God, who cares? Oh. <laughs> we oh. still won. I'm telling you. He, he just grinned, at Earnhardt grinned, and walked out the door. Oh, my God. Uh, I felt like so let down. Um, he was a hard, 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 tough dude. Mm. But you know what was funny is he would walk out of the building, go go 100 yards down down the hallway into somebody else's room and go, y'all won't believe it, man. Junior won the race this weekend. So cool. You know, and, and I'm hearing all this stuff now, right, from all his friends. Oh, he used to love talking about you. He used to love, you know, he was so proud of you, so proud of you. You know, but he could not ever bring himself to, to, to he just was so worried to heap too much praise on you. And, you wouldn't try hard enough. Yeah. That's I, I can relate to that. That ha that's happened in my own dynamic with my dad. Like that's a criticism over the last few years, even it's just, you know, he'll go tell everyone else, like, so proud of this or so great. So glad for that. How about this? Did you check this out? And then here I am getting nothing. Like there's no appreciation. There's no, um, you know, he doesn't praise me. And so, you know, I've had this sort of, feeling my whole life of not being good enough or not being enough because I didn't really get that. But I think yeah. the same thing. I think he comes from this hard knocks, tough mentality of like, you know, I got to build you strong. I got to build you determined. I got to make you want it. You got to, yeah. you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you feel like this is enough. Like when we go go-kart racing and I'd be half a second quicker than everyone, um, that was never good enough. I that even wasn't good enough. I was, you know, half a lap ahead at the end and that wasn't good enough. Like, so I've always had this feeling too, and it's frustrating, but you know, the, the, the extraction is that you do try hard and you do really push Yeah, and you do accomplish great things because you didn't just add, you did add to the Earnhardt name, but you had your own incredible career on your own. That needs to be said. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I, I will. I always said too. Interesting enough, that those years in the late model car, in the in the sort of when I was getting crafting, you know, cutting my teeth and learning the ropes, were some of the most fun mm. years. Mm. Going going to the track with no real guidance was actually so exciting. <laughs> Uh, the fear uh, and the anxiety, anticipation yeah. uh, when things worked, the six, you know, the, you knew you were the reason why it worked. Um, I mean, I had plenty of good friends helping me, but none of us knew more than the other. Yeah. And we all kind of, we all kind of enjoyed that, you know, yeah. not having somebody go, this is the way it's done. Y'all sure. do it that way. And we're doing it this way. It was better to go just trial and error. We didn't have as much success. I didn't have really any, any success in late models before I got in the Xfinity series, but I learned more in those three years, just, you know, being so hands-on. Um, and I always say, I always feel like, man, I, I, if I could go back to any part of my career to relive it, it would be those, those days in the late models, just going up and down the road with your buddies, uh, having fun racing. Yeah. There's a lot of it fun that does get taken out of it. You know, we can both sit here and be like, you know, if I had to do another friggin' interview, if I had to do another damn media day before the season started, another whatever day, another this, another, are you happy to be back at Kansas Speedway day? And you're just like, oh, can't you guys just come up with something original? And then, you know, all the bullshit that goes along with it, you know? And 
um, the politics of it all. And you, you know, you know how it goes. It oh, yeah. takes the fun out of it. And I think back too. I mean, like go-karting was the funnest, right? Like it was, yeah. it was the fun time. Um, you know, you, you, you know, you talk about your dad's, the letter you wrote to your dad and you talk about the lesson about effort and I can't help but think like, and wonder how, how did that, how did that spill out into your life from there on out? Did you, did it change the way you approach your meaningful relationships, your friendships, your, um, your relationships, your, you know, family, because you recognize just how powerful truth was? Um, did anything, did that affect, did you think about that? Or was that more just something that you can take away as a, a really meaningful thing that happened with your dad? I just feel like that the, the opportunity to be able to share with him how I felt yeah. about him was a, was a very uh, stroke of luck. You know, we, were, we weren't going to take that time and sit down and really have that conversation. And I've um, encouraged a few friends of mine and uh, even that, that, that want to have that same conversation with somebody else to write that letter. Mm. Um, and it's just, it really was what broke the ice. It really was what, I, it said it better than I could have said it verbally because I would have screwed that up. Mm. Um, and the letter made dad listen. Whereas if I would have walked in there and told him, I don't know that he'd have heard it yeah. the same way. So um, have you, uh, have you written a, like a letter like that to anyone else? Have you written that letter to your wife, Amy? Nothing like that one, but I will one day. That's probably a good idea. But, um, so your daughter, your yeah. daughters, you know, I've always thought about, I've always thought about doing that. Um, what writing, what even maybe even just making a video, uh, for my, for my girls now, yeah. uh, might do for them down the road, you know, when they're, when they're older. Um, my, I'm 45, so I started young having kids. Um, my mom just recently passed away at 67. And so, you know, my dad's death didn't have a real uh, impact on my uh, approach to life. Or, or I was young and there was a lot in front of me. And so um, – it impacted me in a lot of ways, but it didn't do what my mom's death did. And when my mom passed away this past year, yeah. man, it really messed me up. Really? Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, it made me really scared about how much time I have left. Wow. And so, especially when I look at my daughters and I go, man, you know, I want to be here a while and I don't want to just suddenly leave them at a very young age and, I, you know, I, I worry too much. And if that's not evident already by the, by this point in the interview, <laughs> I'll, I'll just admit it that I just, I'm, I just, you know, worry, I worry way too much about things, but I, I really got to thinking about that. Like I need to take better care of myself or if there's anything I can change in my lifestyle that, that might help me. Um, I quit smoking probably 10 years ago. I used to smoke every day, uh, a pack a day wow. um, for years. Uh, I hid that from everybody. I used to, um, Matt, well, Matt Kenseth jokes around me and him park, me and him used to be parked next to the racetrack every weekend with our buses. And he used, he, uh, it was like this sort of secret that everybody knew, yeah. you know, because I'd be smoking in the bus and, and I had this fan and it'd pull all the smoke out of this one particular window. And Matt, Matt's like, man, I just sit there and watch the smoke come out of that truck, that bus all weekend. And I'm like, man, you never said anything. He's like, well, what's to say, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I smoked when I drank, uh, and then it became a habit every day, all day. And, uh, so my mom smoked too, and she died of lung cancer. And, mm. um, and I talked to her about that, you know, uh, but it put a fear in me that, um, man, I don't know how much time I got left. Maybe it's, uh, 20 years, maybe it's 40 years, who knows? But I'm going, you know, it made me really realize, I guess, how precious uh, life is. But it, that impacted me and made me, um, you know, made me really try to enjoy 
my girls and, and, and appreciate what I have, my marriage. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, it still bothers me now. I mean, it was recent, so uh, I'm still not quite sure, you know, that I'm, that I'm through the, through the woods, but, uh, yeah, yeah, my dad's death was so sudden that, um, I don't know. It didn't have, it didn't have the effect that I think a lot of people might imagine it had. Whereas with my mom watching cancer do what it did to her just was awful. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and you knew what was coming, you know, that, that was a incredibly different experience than losing dad so suddenly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so there, there's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I came out of dad's passing and just, I got wild and, and clubby. Yeah. We, we, we raised hell and had fun and we raced and we tried to do everything we could just to keep marching forward. And, and, you know, and then, you know, ended up having a pretty reasonable time and, and success in racing. And, and then, like I said, just recently my mom passed and it sort of reset the stage, if you will. Mm. Um, of like what's important in life and and damn you better appreciate what you got while you're here and um you know be everything you can to the these two little girls that i got and um try to be a good husband and mm-hmm. you know just uh enjoy it golly because it's short as hell <laughs> yeah and can be shorter than you expect yeah, it could be. What are you going to do different? What's on your list? What's on your bucket list? Like, I don't like to call it bucket list. I like to call it like more of a life list because, yeah. you know, when you do them, you should feel alive, right? We're not doing them to check a box off to die. Like we shouldn't think yeah. about dying. We should think about living. Like what's your live list? Me and Amy really got to traveling um, in the last couple of years before uh, we had our first little girl. Yeah. And since we've had Isla, it's kind of shut down uh, some of the some of the broader trips we wanted to take. I went to Australia back around 2005, 2006, and I want to take Amy there so bad. I made some great friends in Australia and just I love their approach to life. Um, and so I, I'd love to take Amy uh, down there for a trip. I'd never been to New Zealand. I hear it's amazing. Um, yeah, so I, there's other parts of Europe that I'd love to experience. We've been to Germany a couple times, but, um, never been to Ireland or, or, or England or anywhere like that. So I just want to see all of the world. I want to go to, uh, I want to go to Alaska. I've never been to Alaska. Um, so there's, I'll be sitting I'll be sitting on the couch or in the bed before dinner, before uh, we go to sleep, sort of Googling these random places all over the world that are not the, not the big cities, but the small towns that sort of uh, surround them. Um, Like when we went to Germany, we went to, we went to towns that were like 300 people, uh, very small places to get a real authentic understanding of, what life is like in that space. Do you have German background? Uh, Do you have German? Are you German? Yeah. Yeah. I trace my uh, genealogy back to a particular town in Germany. Cool. And so and uh, we were there? able to go. Yeah, we went there. I was, I wanted to go. I, I traced um, some, I traced some of my family back to this particular church. And it was in a small town called Ilbesheim. And, and uh, 300 people lived there in 1700. And 300 people live there today. It's not really changed a bunch. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it's, the church is still there. And um, I read the, so I'm looking at the pages. I'm looking at pictures of pages in a book from this church on ancestry in my house here in North Carolina, right? Never knowing that I was going to go to Germany and hold that book and look at the pages in my hands of those same books that are, um, that I'm using to trace my genealogy, right? It was crazy. They made me put on these white gloves and all this stuff to hold the books. This is the real deal. But I went there for my 40th birthday. It was like this sort of game I had with myself that I was going to go drink a beer in that town on my 40th birthday. And it just so happened that I'd met, I was wanting to marry Amy too. <laughs> so I asked her if she would 
marry me in that church, in that town. Um, so that was a, that was a pretty incredible experience. And we've, we've, uh, I think, you know, between the Australia trip, going to Germany, that really has inspired me to kind of see more of the, of the world and, uh, just take in the beauty of, of all those locations across this world. It's just an amazing place. I want to see, I want to see some of it. I don't have to see it all, but I want to see a lot more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language. I love traveling. There's so many places to go and so many places to see in the world. When people ask what my favorite destination is, I'm like the one I haven't been to yet because (laughs) there's just so much to see, but I will say New Zealand is, is, um, really beautiful and the culture is great and they're super fun people. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Australia. Um, but I definitely would recommend going there. Um, you were mentioned like going back in history. It makes me think of the new show that you have called lost speedways. You're so nostalgic. Are you, would you call yourself nostalgic? Yes. Super duper. And like a story, a nostalgic historian, especially for racing or does it go everywhere? Is it for everything? Cause I guess it could be for everything. Well, so I got, I got sort of, uh, I kind of got enamored with um, mystery and abandoned uh, places, uh, ships sunk into the bottom of a sea. You like ghosts then too? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if the if there's a ghost story, I guess that adds to the mystique. So you're gonna choose to stay at the haunted house at the haunted haunted hotel. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh great. Yeah. Not me. I would. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've kind of always just been curious about this. You know, there's, there's so many places all over the world that are just hiding in the, hiding in the woods, you know, this, the nature's reclaimed a lot of this stuff. It might be an amusement park that's abandoned or some giant infrastructure that was built for war two or whatever. I don't know. Um, but I like to, I want to see them. I want to go look at them. I want to go walk around in them and see uh, what's going on. So I've always kind of been that way. And about 10 years ago, I started to get uh, interest in finding abandoned racetracks and only the tracks where there's still some evidence of the track itself on the location of okay. the property. So Whether it's, it's the down. Essentially, it's not tore down. Like you can still see right. the track. Yeah. With all if the it's <laughs> Yeah, if it's been redeveloped or anything, I'm not that interested in it. But I want to go to the places that are still there, even if it's just a little bit. Um, I started a map on Google about 12 years ago, locating these tracks and marking this map. And I'm and and I joined a a few other guys that were doing the same thing, and we've got about 2,000 racetracks. You've got like your own Ancestry.com for racetracks. Yes, <laughs> and so we really have a lot of material if we want to continue to do this show, but we got eight episodes this season, lost speedways. Um, if it's on Peacock TV, which is a new oh, yeah. streaming platform yep. for NBC. Yeah. It's free. One of my favorite shows let Yellowstone is on Peacock. So I know it is. Well, I am not behind the paywall. If you want to see my show, it's free. Download the app and, and that's cool. watch away. We're having fun with it. Yeah, that's really cool. It also makes me think of um, the fact that you just got nominated for the Hall of Fame. Oh, congratulations! I, I know. I, that's I don't even know to think about. Yes, like that's your career you got nominated for. Does that hit you, or is that just some, is that like what? What was the emotion, or what's your? What did that? What did you think when you're when you got nominated? Well, when you hear it, it made you want to cry. But um, so I mean, just happy tears. But uh, yeah, I still. Yeah. I can't, I can't figure out what it means. Uh, I can't really understand. I can't really, uh, it had, and it won't, uh, it probably won't really make any sense to me until I'm in that moment, I guess, up on, up on stage, giving that speech or, or putting that jacket on around the other hall of famers that'll be there in attendance and going through that experience, I think is when it might kind of finally make sense. Um, you know, I look at my numbers and I'm, I, I like, I, they, you know, they're right there. Uh, you know, and I, I see, I saw all the guys that were in that, um, in that, in that list of possible uh, nominees and, you know, they're all amazing and, and my numbers are all kind of right there with those guys. And so it made me feel good, but um, I don't know, you know, I don't know. 
I never got to win a championship in the Cup Series, and that doesn't really haunt me every day. But it's a it's a elation and a celebration I just didn't get to experience. So yeah. I can't you know can't compare it to anything else. I know what winning a race feels like and all those things, and winning a championship in Xfinity Series, and but never a Cup Series championship. And so, you know, I guess this is a this is kind of going to be the icing on the cake. Yeah. Instead of the championship, it'll be this Hall of Fame nomination. And it's sort of a, a tip of the cap, I guess, from the industry that, that you mattered and uh, you, you were an asset and you left a mark. Yeah. Are you going to cry? Are you a crier? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sensitive. So I think that um, – I think I'll have a hard time in some spots in that, in that speech for sure. Well, that resonates with people. So nobody wants to cry, but <laughs> if you start crying, I guarantee there'll be like a million people out there crying with you. <laughs> Tears of joy. Heck yeah, I can't wait. I hope that, uh, you know, considering everything going on in the world, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a weird couple of years, but, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame – nomination for me in my personal life certainly stands out as as a as a highlight yeah you know it should yeah you deserve it thank you thanks for doing this Dale yeah I appreciate it it's a lot of fun catching up yeah and, I know uh, we didn't talk a ton of racing but you I don't know care. whatever you want to talk about the personal stuff is so interesting and you're such a you're such an interesting guy and you have so many great stories and you're so open and you know, that's not always the most common thing to find, especially with us drivers who are so used to like buy the book, cookie cutter, like give, thank your sponsors and keep it short and sweet. Like it's um, you. Um, well, we can all recreate our personality in any way we want. And I, I would never describe you as being introverted, awkward <laughs> or uncomfortable or any of those things. So you know, I don't know if that's what you wanted to accomplish, but you have. And so, yeah. you know, you're not that, that kid anymore. You're a, you're an amazing father now, father and husband and, um, hall of famer. Well, thank you, Danica. I appreciate you being so kind. Um, you've been a great friend, yeah. uh, and it's so good to see you catch up with you. Um, always wondering what you're up to and, and where you are in life. I know you're, all over the place doing some amazing things. So Thanks. you're fun to, fun to keep up with a little challenging to keep up with, but um, <laughs> well, we're always, we're always thinking about you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Well, I'll have to bring some, bring some wine around. I make quite a bit of it now. So <laughs> we'd, we'd love to try it. Oh my gosh. I'm having flashbacks to that party in your oh, backyard a few oh. oh no oh the boat was really fun too i was actually <laughs> just reminiscing about the boat one where amy and myself and a couple other girls we were like in we were so hammered and we were oh yeah it was raining and we were all yes. like standing in the rain at the front of the boat but i was also remembering being in your backyard and having a party in the backyard and we drank way too much i don't even remember and we, we have like a fun boomerang picture of us in the backyard many too too many way too many drinks i know i felt that the next day but um <clears throat> you know i know there's more responsibilities now with kids and things like that yeah. but that doesn't mean we don't know how to have fun we know how to have fun if we need to all right let's do it all right all right thanks dale thank y'all Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.